inside of the bulletin. If you remember, we've been working on a series called The Mystery and Madness of Marriage. Well, we dealt a little bit with the mystery last week, and so now we're going to deal with the madness of marriage uh, as I rush in where angels spirit tread. Um, here's Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And it could just as easily have been said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. Well, as I said, we looked last week at the mystery of marriage, and now we're going to look at the madness of marriage. You know, if you've married, or if you've been married before, marriage can drive you mad, can't it? It's this unbelievable, strange dance between two people. I call it the dance of the porcupines. See two porcupines trying to dance? You know, they've got all these quills, and somehow they're trying to connect with one another, and yet at the same time, they keep on pushing back and forth, repel, attract. It's a very, very interesting dynamic. Well, as we all know, we all desire a beautiful marriage if you are married, but marriages sometimes don't turn out so well. In fact, the current statistics says that for everyone that gets married uh, now, uh, one out of two of those marriages are going to, uh, they're going to fail. And so, uh, you know, at least there's some humor uh, about divorce, so I'm going to dwell into that uh, and wait for the letters that are going to be coming as soon as I get home. Uh, here's some wonderful, wonderful jokes uh, dealing with the issue uh, of divorce. How about this one? When we divorced, we shared the house 50-50. She got the inside, I got the outside. Every time I find Mr. Wright, my husband scares him away. The inherent downside in the life of pursuing women is the possibility of inadvertently catching one. Marriage is a three-ring circus, an engagement ring, a wedding ring, and a suffering ring. Suffering. Adam and Eve had an ideal marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married, and she didn't have to hear about the way his mother cooked. <laughs> oh, boy. And it goes on and goes on and goes on. Marriage, five minutes to get in and a lifetime to get out of. Ooh, that's so disturbing. I'm sorry I even read that. I came across a, a, the best divorce letter ever, and KnoxNews.com, the all-seeing internet, gave this one to me. Apparently supposed to be a true uh, letter here. Husband and wife exchange. Dear wife, I'm writing you this letter to tell you that I'm leaving you forever. I've been a good man to you for seven years and I have nothing to show for it. These last two weeks have been hell. 
Your boss called me to tell me that you quit your job today and that was the last straw. Last week you came home and didn't even notice that I had a new haircut, had cooked your favorite meal, and even wore a brand new pair of silk boxers. You ate in two minutes and went straight to sleep after watching all of your soaps. You didn't tell me that you loved me, you didn't want anything that connects us as a husband and wife. Either you're cheating on me or you don't love me anymore. Whatever the case, I'm gone, your ex-husband. P.S. Don't try to find me. Your sister and I are moving away to West Virginia together. Have a great life. From the wife. Dear ex-husband, nothing has made my day more than receiving your letter. It's true you and I have been married for seven years, although a good man is a far cry from what you've been. I watch my soap so much because they drown out your constant whining and breaking. Too bad that doesn't work. I did notice that when you got a haircut last week, but the first thing that came to my mind was you look just like a girl. Since my mother raised me not to say anything, if you can't say something nice, I didn't comment. And when you cooked my favorite meal, you must have gotten confused with my sister because I stopped eating pork seven years ago. And those new silk boxers, I turned away from you because the $49.99 price tag was still on them, and I prayed it was a coincidence that my sister had just borrowed $50 from me that morning. After all of this, I still loved you and felt we could work it out. So I hit the lotto for $10 million. <laughs> I quit my job and bought us two tickets to Jamaica, but when I got home, you were gone. Everything happens for a reason, I guess. I hope you have the fulfilling life you've always wanted. My lawyer said that the letter you wrote ensures you won't get a dime from me. So take care. Sign, your ex-wife, rich as, as heck and free. P.S. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my sister Carla was born Carl. I hope that's not a problem. <laughs> the end. You know, marriage drives us crazy. You know, when you think about it, how could something that starts so beautiful sometimes end up so bad? I mean, no one ever goes into a marriage saying, you know what, I don't really like this person. We're going to see how this kicks off and, you know, we'll go from there. No, you get up in front of everyone because this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. You're at the highest heights of romanticism and even love, and yet somehow, some way, you can go from the top, from pure joy to pure destruction. I want to suggest to you that marriage, as I did last week, is much more than simply about you. In fact, marriage is much more than simply about marriage. Encapsulated in marriage is the story of mankind. Because marriage shows the curse of the fall, and it also shows the hope of God's redemption. Marriage is more than an institution. It's a message. It speaks to us of the misery of the fall and the hope of God's redemption. Marriage is ultimately not about creation, but about redemption. See, it doesn't matter as you hear this sermon whether you're single or married. You will be able to see the message, and indeed you will be able to participate in it. Because marriage is more than simply about the couple, it's about all of us. The condition we find ourselves in, and the hope that we have in redemption. Marriage shows the curse of the fall, and it shows the hope of God's redemption. And as such, marriage has always pointed us to our need for God's mercy, and our obligation to live by God's grace. Well, I'm going to unpack this whole statement that I made here. We're going to look at three specific truths. Now, I always look at three specific truths. Why? Because I like to look at three specific truths. Okay? Deal with it. It's 
Sorry, I was a little bit insensitive there. Number one, marriage shows the misery of fallen humanity. I use the word misery and marriage in the same sentence. Forgive me. Number one, marriage shows the misery of fallen humanity. Number two, marriage shows the mercy of a redeemer. And then finally, number three, marriage shows the remodeling of a child of God. The misery of fallen humanity, the mercy of a redeemer, and the remodeling of a child of God. Because marriage shows the curse of the fall and also shows the hope of God's redemption. Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this point number one, the misery of a fallen humanity. Here, last week, you remember I talked about marriage, that marriage was God's doing, that marriage had God's design, and it was for God's display. Remember, man is created in the image of God. Now, God is a spirit. He's not talking physically, but he's talking about the characteristics of God. Righteousness and holiness and justice and goodness. He's given this image of God in order to rule over the creation that God has given him. And yet as man with this God-like powers is ruling, God tells him that it's not good that you're alone. In fact, you are incomplete. And so he makes woman. And between woman and man being put together, not just in marriage, but man and woman, we see the full image of God. Because the only way we can truly see God is in relationship. See, Adam, he shows the righteousness and holiness of God, but God is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, if you really want to understand me and my fullness, you also have to watch my relationship with my spouse. My relationship with my kids. Because it's in the context of relationships that you're able to see aspects of that person. And so this marriage of man and woman is mirroring to us this relationship between the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this man and this woman, they're both equal. They're equals. They're both made in the image of God. They're both given the task of giving dominion over the earth, but they're di given different assignments. They're given different statuses. This man is supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the one who's heading out and shaping creation. And yet he needs a helper because he's helpless without her. He needs this one who can complete, who can advise, who can counsel, who can encourage, who can come alongside and give those things that are missing and together they can forge this world together. The ultimate goal of these two people is to show the majesty of God. Along comes the fall. And it devastates this oneness. Remember last week we talked about this, that they were both naked and they didn't feel ashamed. Now why is that? Think about that. Was it because they were so beautiful and they were so perfect and to be sure they were, they were, they were without sin? I want to suggest to you it was something deeper. They were naked and felt, did not feel ashamed because of the covenant relationship that they had between one another. You know, what would your relationship look like with someone if you knew, for better, for worse, it doesn't matter. It does not matter if I reveal all of myself to them. That they truly would love me and accept me and cherish me and rejoice in me. See, the reason the husband and wife are willing and, uh, and to have this non-ashamed with one another is because they are so confident in the other person's commitment to them. Well, this fall, this decision to take the apple... To eat the apple has destroyed this oneness. Because what happens? You all know the story, right? Remember the flannel graph? Along comes the serpent. God has told Adam, don't eat from the tree 
uh, of knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes along, beguiles the woman, and she takes a bite and gives it to her husband who was with her. And he does the same. And lo and behold, here comes God walking in the garden. And what do they do? They hide. They hide from each other, right? Now they're naked and they do feel ashamed. They start knitting clothes to create this barrier. Then they hide from God. All of a sudden, instead of this beauty of marriage, it's every man or woman for himself. It's an act of treason. It's an act of seeing who can be first. And so this marriage has been inverted. See, what do they do, right? Adam, God comes, and he comes to who? Adam. Adam, what have you done? Why does he come to Adam? Because Adam is the one who's responsible for leading. And he was supposed to help his wife, protect his wife, watch over his wife. And he just let go. Truth be told, I think he really wanted to eat the apple too. But you know what? He had a scapegoat. It was the woman. She made me do it. See, the blame game begins. He who is supposed to protect her gives her up. And what about the woman? It was the serpent. The serpent talked to me, and I ate it. See, she's shifting blame. Neither of them are upset about what this has done for the other person. Because the barrier has come. And we see in this marriage the misery of a fallen humanity. See, they both at the end of the day are acting like Satan, aren't they? Remember Satan, the beautiful angel, so close to God? And yet he saw God's glory and said, I want it for myself. And so he tried to take over the position of God. And Adam tried to take over the position of God. And Eve tried to take over the position of Adam. At the end of the day, it's all about treason. And it's all about his curse. Now, I don't know about you, but if I, if I was God, I would have done this a little different. I would have said to Adam and Eve, you know, you two are not good for each other. Okay? Bad juju between you two. I'm going to separate you. Kind of like what we do with our kids, you know. You go over there. You go over there. He didn't do that at all, did he? No, he kept them together. Why? I think it was, okay, this is what you want. This is what you got. And I'm going to show you what life looks like when it's every man or woman for themselves. And he gives this curse upon man and woman. Remember? First of all, woman, you want to be like me? You want to be a creator? Okay, but you will bring forth life with pain. Man, you want to be like me? You want to control the world? You want to bring things into being? Very well, you'll work it all the days of your life and it will fight you to the end. Woman, you want to take the place of your husband? Your desire will be to master him and manipulate him and control him and he will rule over you. Man will no longer uh, cherish you. Man will no longer watch over you. He'll subjugate you. He'll rule you. Not kindly, he'll push you down. He won't protect you. You know, think of the whole world. You know what marriage is? Marriage is not only a message, it's a microcosm. You want to look at the world, just shrink it on down. Think about all of the crimes that are perpetrated upon women by men around the world. Why? Because man is stronger. Because man can pull it off. 
Because man is bigger, and so he's able to put his fist down, and he's able to perpetrate horrible crimes upon women. Do you know the number one tool used to manipulate men? It's the female body. Go open up an advertisement. People magazine. Go open up anywhere. It's an instrument of manipulation that our country and the advertisers and everybody uses. See, it's either push down or push back. It's battle back and forth. Misery, misery, misery. You know, I, my wife is a, a counselor, and so she sees a lot of folks, you know, through marriage and therapy and things like that. And myself, I've been in therapy for 19, 20 years. Uh, you know, thank goodness it's in, uh, insured. Uh, she's not leaving me so far. And I asked her the question, you know, you, you deal with these people all the time. What, why do they have affairs? Why do they have these problems? I said, why, what, what does men tell you why they go off and do these things? And she said to me, you know what it is? She says, when Leon asks him about this other person, they say, she made me feel important. She made me feel like I was somebody. Leon said the good point. She made me feel like I was God. She worshipped me. You know, it's that desire, the good one and the bad one. She respected me. And along came another, you know, here I wasn't getting that at home. What about the women when, the, when they're just done? You know, when a woman's done, a woman's done. They're long-suffering. But when they're done, they're done. And the woman said this, he never appreciated me. He didn't take care of me. He took me for granted. He was all take and no give. And so we see this world of trying to get what we want from the other person and not get it, and so we manipulate one another. We guilt one another. We keep a record of wrongs. We bring up, we tell how much we've done for the other person. We are sneaky and deceptive. We find solaces in other places. We control the other person. I remember it's interesting, you know, as a, as a, as a pastor, I get to see a lot of weddings. And this is a dynamic that I see that you know, there's, I could go on the other side, but sometimes I see with some particular brides, the marriage is actually all about them. Meaning, this is, this is my marriage, this is my day, this is my voila. Now, I got plenty of things to say about the guy, whether it's the, the honeymoon or whatever's going on, but in terms of the picture of marriage is being given, right? Coming and being given away, and yet even my marriage is going to be mine. See, the truth is, when I look in the mirror called my spouse, I see the worst of myself. Because marriage is a picture of the misery of a fallen humanity. To face my wife is to face my mirror. Now I turn the mirror upon you. Think about your own life. Your own relationship with your spouse. Do some of these things ring true where... You've been able to see through the eyes of your spouse the fallenness of your life. Who knows what the week was like this week as you dealt with the pressures and problems, maybe even getting here this morning. I'm amazed at some of the things that come out of me when I'm not least expecting it, when I'm not guarded. And so in your life, do you see this in your own relationship? Are you willing to own the fact that yes, I am broken? Or are you still so dazzled with yourself 
that you cannot see the simple fact that you are a broken person in need of a Savior. Whenever I'm counseling a couple for marital counseling, you know, they're sitting with each other and we're going through the testing and so forth, and I say, listen, I want you to make sure to remember one thing. This person who's right next to you tried to usurp the role of the greatest God in the universe. And she kind of has her face down a little bit. What does that mean? It means that we, in our essence, are traitors. We'll do anything to become, to come into power. The goal of this is not to shame you, but rather for you to see, you know what? Left to myself, my marriage will never be magnificent because it's a microcosm of my heart. I need something more. My marriage shows the curse of the fall, but it also can show the hope of God's redemption. This brings me to my second point. Some of you right now are how the heck do I get out of here? No, no, we're not done yet, okay? Stay with me. Marriage reflects the mercy of our Redeemer. Reflects the mercy of our Redeemer. Now think about this. You know, I've talked about that this relationship of marriage was supposed to reflect the relationship within the Godhead, but I want to suggest to you that it was also created to reflect the relationship between God and man. Look at Ephesians 5.31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, so, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Yeah, this is a proud, profound uh, a mystery. Now, was marriage created before or after the fall? It's created before, right? It's one of the things that happened right, right from the beginning. If that was so... And the picture of marriage is a, is a picture of Christ's oneness with this church. What does that mean? Why did there need to be oneness with this church? In other words, embedded in marriage itself is the picture of redemption. Marriage is not about creation as much as it's about redemption. See, the reason why God didn't separate man and woman after this is because He knows that we were going to need marriage. We were going to need it in order to see our own sin, and we were going to need it in order to see a picture of God's salvation. And so God has embedded the gospel in marriage, and we can find the gospel of Jesus Christ by examining marriage. So let's do that. Let's look at marriage through the lens of the gospel. Man shall leave and hold fast and become one flesh to his wife. He shall leave his parents and become one flesh. Okay, some of you, if you've gotten married before, remember taking that step? Okay, I've been living with my parents, or I'm not living with them, but I'm still tied to them, and I need to break ties. I need to leave. I need to go. I need to pursue. I need to ask. I need to embrace. It's a scary thing, right? First, if you had to do it, asking uh, her dad for her hand in marriage. Wow. I, could, I mean, it was probably like five times, I think six times. I think I had to put several 20s down. And, you know, there's some other things I'm still fulfilling. But nevertheless, I got the yes, okay? You know, it's, it's a step. It's a step. It's a step of desire. Why? Because you've fallen in love. Someone has come into your life that your passion and your heart has risen to the point where you cannot help not being with them. You must upset the status quo. And so you're willing to make a commitment. 
Marriage always has costs, right? Whether it's the ring for the woman's giving up my name, maybe. It's things are no longer going to be the same. We're going to pool our resources. We're going to take a step. We're going to take a risk. Marriage is about risk. And Jesus Christ saw a bride named his church and said, I am going to go get her. And so he left heaven and came to earth and pursued his people. What was the commitment he was willing to make? Everything. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands loved their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself with splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, just about everyone would say that a bride is beautiful. I get some great seats in the house as a pastor. I've never seen an ugly bride. You know why? Well, A, she's, she's been working on looking her best, okay? She's wearing the best of the best, clothes, whatever can be afforded. I mean, she is decked out, okay? And there's also a radiance to her, right? One of the things why she looks beautiful is because she knows she's loved. And she's special. She's a beautiful bride. We marry, usually, men because she's beautiful, certainly to us. But this marriage is a little bit different, this gospel. What does it say? It says that Christ um, loved your wives uh, that he, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her. That he, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or blemish. What does that mean? It means she's ugly. See, before she was beautiful, Christ saw the bride. And he says, I want to bring her to myself. And so I am going to do the work of beautifying her. I am going to do all the things necessary. You know, when they open the doors, you know, and the bride starts walking in and she's beautiful and everyone stands. The gospel is totally different. The doors are open and there is the bride and she's dirty and spoiled and ugly and blotted and blemished and stained. And would, not anybody would want to marry her. And yet God sees beyond that. He sees the beauty and the radiance. And something magically happens as the bride walks up the aisle. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love, the sacrifice, the salvation, transforms her from an ugly woman into a beautiful bride. See, that's the gospel, my friends. It's not just for women, it's for all of us. We're hideous. How do you know? Look in the mirror. If you've got a spouse, you've got a full-length one. If not, find a friend. Okay, we're, we are traitors. We do want to be gods. And our lives are testament to the misery that we cause upon people. And yet God came from far away and brought us to Himself. And so wives, so wives, our response, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
How are we to give ourselves to this one who calls us to be his bride? Unreservedly. No fear. Naked and not ashamed. A response fully of love. You can't make anyone become a Christian. Because it comes from inside, not from outside. It's a heart that says, God, if you love me that much, if you accept me that much, the answer is yes, all that I have I do to you. I don't know if you've heard the story of these uh, folks. It came across me recently. It's about a town, Katura, Paraguay. It's this little town essentially built on the top of a landfill. And garbage collectors, they browse the trash for collectible goods. There's a whole village. I don't know if you've ever been to a Latin American country. But they have whole communities built on these landfills. They get the garbage, they turn around and they sell it. And that's how they make a living. Well, along came an orchestra director and a music teacher, and they set up a music program for some of the kids in this dump. And they had very limited resources, and so they had some instruments. They had so many people that wanted to play that they had to come up with a solution for instruments. And so lo and behold, this is what they did. They call it the landfill harmonic. There's a man, his name is uh, uh, Kola, and he works in the dump. And he saw these, this need for these uh, instruments, and so he started taking trash and molding this trash into instruments. So if you look at this clarinet, you'll see there's a key right there, and a bottle cap, and there's all a stopper, and all sorts of trash that has been put together to make this clarinet. You see the violin. All these different violins made out of different things. They're junk. That they've been transformed into something beautiful. Here's a picture of the band. It's a cello. They're just buckets. It's just a bunch of junk. It's the landfill harmonic. And yet they put out this beautiful sound. In fact, there's a movie coming out about them. I want you to hear some uh, live music from the landfill harmonic. And so in marriage, we see these two twins 
opposite sides of the spectrum. Where does that leave us now? You know, some of you may be going, well, I'm not married. The picture is for you to dwell upon whether you're married or not. You know, marriage is the most intense of relationships, but it's not the only one. We can experience this in all sorts of different fashions with people around us. But this does lead me to my final point. My final point I want to talk about is how God is using marriage as a tool to remold us into the image of Christ. You know, our life goes on. You'll walk out of here and you go back into the, studi the studio, the pottery studio of life. But marriage in its purest form is the exact repudiation of that which led us into the fall. It's the selfless giving and serving of another person that really ratifies and shows that we are made in the image of the triune God. And you get to express this love to someone else, someone who may be pretty unlovable. See, the amazing thing, my friends, is the gospel, if it is moved in your heart, you have the opportunity to rehearse and play this beautiful music to your spouse, or if you're single, to the people around you. See, there are different roles in this orchestra, but one purpose, to show the glory of God. Husbands, love your wives. Lay down your lives for them. As Christ laid down his life for the church, that he might present them beautiful, spotless, without blemish. What does that look like in your marriage, man? What does it mean to lay down your life, like Christ laid down his life? Maybe it's to pursue her, to know what's going on in her life. For so long you've just been going back and forth and she's talking and you're busy because you're thinking about your own pursuits. What does it mean to play this beautiful music of the gospel in your marriage? Maybe it means that you need to stop doing this and this and this because it's coming in between. What you're communicating is you love it more than you love her. What would your marriage look like if you focused your heart like Christ did on us on, on glorifying and beautifying and bringing this kind of love into your marriage. Women, what would it look like if you did these things? What's your role? What's your trumpet or uh, clarinet or whatever it is? To lift up your husband, to submit to his leadership, to honor him, to love him, to hold fast to him like Christ holds fast to the church. You know, men, truth be told, I'm going to give you a little secret, women. Men are profoundly insecure. They are. Okay, we can, we can fake it with just about everyone. But if you don't have a woman to help lift you up, to strengthen you, you cannot be the great man that God has called you to be. Can't do it. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm single. Wait a second. God, remember, there are two marriages in this world. Okay? One is eternal. If you're a Christian, you're married to Christ, man or woman. And one is temporary. It's called marriage here. When you are the key to success for your husband, he needs you to love him and to believe in him. And she needs you to cherish her and to love her and to care for her. See, every day, my friends, you have the opportunity to play out this music called the gospel music. It may, all you have is, you know, a tin can here or there. You may have a couple of strings, you don't know. But what you do have is a heart, and you do have God Almighty. 
And as you give yourself and the wreck called your marriage to him, he will tune it. He will make it into something beautiful. I want to encourage you, whether you're single, whether you're in your marriage, whether your marriage is hitting a home run, or whether it's struggling and you're wondering, I don't know what you go through. Marriage does reflect the misery and fullness of man. I see myself in my marriage. But it doesn't have to end there. It can lead my eyes to a Redeemer who loves me despite my imperfections and makes me beautiful. And what He's done in my heart, I can do in my spouse's heart. And that can transform the world. I want to pray for you and your marriage, and then we're going to go ahead and finish the service. And your sinless. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room because this picture of marriage is a picture for all of us. Marriage is a message. It's the gospel. It's what you've done to rescue us and marry us to yourself, whether we're single or married. And Lord, for some of us, you have united us together for this shadow of the reality. Lord, work in our hearts. Shape it in such a way that we're moved, that it transforms us, that it uh, envelops us, Lord. And that it changes the way that we love our spouse as we play the music of the gospel in the particular role that God has assigned to us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.